You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Leave those Bibles open. We're going to be uh, jumping around a little bit this morning, so I'm going to test your Bible flipping skills. If you're under 20, you don't have any because uh, you've never used a paper book before, but we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're retraining you this morning. So we're going to jump in because uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover this morning. We're going to jump straight in, not um, 700 years BC, where we've been the last couple of weeks in Isaiah chapter 9, but we're going to fast forward 700 years or so past the birth of Jesus, the first Christmas, up and 30-something years later to the week before his death. He, is, uh, he has turned his face towards Jerusalem, the text says, and he is on his way to the cross. He knows that he uh, is inextricably on his way to his crucifixion. And uh, he has this, in, in this, this section of the book of Luke, um, there's this really interesting, intriguing exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees. And I want to read it to you from Luke 19 and uh, verse 37 on his way to the cross. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, told Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached and saw the city, the city of Jerusalem, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace... But now it is hidden from your eyes. Intriguing exchange. If you knew what this day, if you knew this day what would bring you peace. I wonder if you know what brings peace. I wonder if you think about this. Even now, actually, why don't you just do a little check? Check through your heart and mind. What do you, and I don't want, I'm going to ask you for a couple of suggestions, but I don't want the Sunday school answers, okay? So just pass over those ones, those, those fake ones, and get to the real stuff. So what, what do you believe, deep in your heart, what do you believe will bring you peace? Comfort and security. Yeah. Any other thoughts? You guys missed your coffee this morning or something? What's, what's, what's happening? It could be that you're so beaten down over the last couple of years that you don't believe that uh, there is such a thing as peace. I'll give you a pass then. 
I was thinking about it, and I've, I cheated because I've been able to think about it all week, but I, I think probably what, where mine, my mind goes to more often than not when I think about what will bring me peace is it's all the if-only statements. If only, here's one that I've been saying recently now that I'm an old 40-year-old man, if only I was 20 years younger. I'm so, I'm, that comes to mind a lot now. I see these 20-year-olds and they, they're so, you know, they're full of energy and promise and potential. <laughs> and, and then I remember what I was like when I was 20 and, 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 I'd, and, and I stopped saying that. But, but it comes to mind because I was a moron, okay? So, um, but it comes to mind often. If only, you know, if only I could do the last 20 years over. Or, you know, I, I'm sure this is the case for you sometimes. If only I was thinner, taller, better looking, if only I was richer, if only I had that guy's car instead of mine, what, you know, that guy's wife instead of mine. You, you fill in the blanks, if only, if only. I tell you what comes to mind a lot in, in my life and is if, if only my mum hadn't died when I was an eight-year-old. Like that happens, that comes to mind a lot. My, I cannot help but think my life would be better if that hadn't happened. Now, the, the reason this is so insidious is because it prevents us from ever experiencing contentment, the kind of contentment that God wants us to have. These statements, if only this, then I would have peace, prevent us from ever experiencing peace because there's always something that's lacking, right? Jesus says to Jerusalem, this sort of personifies Jerusalem as the people of God. He looks to the people of God and he weeps because he so wants them to have peace. And he says, if, if you only knew, if you only knew this day what will bring you peace. He's not talking about this like intellectual thing. Like if only you had this knowledge, then you would experience peace. He's saying, if only you knew me. If only you knew me. If only you could see me entering Jerusalem and see me as the, 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 the fulfillment of all of God's promises up until this point. The fulfillment of Isaiah 700 years before. That God would be sending his king, his Messiah. That his Messiah would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God an everlasting father, a prince of peace. If only you knew this. And he weeps. If only. If only, Jerusalem, if only you knew your own prophets. If only you knew your own book. If only you knew, Isaiah 9 verse 6, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus was God's gift of peace. And his own people rejected him and crucified him. That willful exchanging of peace for something else makes Jesus cry. 
So the question is, like, what, what is this peace that he's offering us? If, if it's so good that he weeps when we reject it, I want to know what that is. If it's better than my if-only statements, if it's better than the fleeting pleasure I get out of whatever it is that I'm chasing, if it's, if it's, if it's better than even the best things that I delight in, my wife, my children, if it's better than that, if it's more full and fruitful than even the good things in my life, if this peace is available to me, then I want to know what that is. That's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean that Jesus is a prince of peace? What is this peace that he is offering to us? The rejection of which makes him weep. When you start asking this question, you see this word peace littered all throughout the scriptures. And you see it particularly whenever you come across Jesus in the Gospels. You see it from the very first moment in the Gospels. So, in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, you've got this announcement of the birth of Jesus. And so, you're going back to the first Christmas now, Luke 2, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying to the shepherds, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favours. So this part of the, the birth announcement of Jesus, the thing that, that these, these announcers, these proclaimers, these preachers, these angels, literally messengers, want the world to know is that with this birth comes peace. What kind of peace, though? It can't be the kind of peace that Miss America dreams of, right? It can't be that peace on earth, that kind of Disney, whatever that is. It can't be that because from the moment the announcement is made, we just see darkness, brokenness, across the face of the earth. Peace on earth, that announcement, that peace on earth that comes with Jesus can't mean that everything's going to be just fine. You see this, right? Right after Jesus is born, you see this, this manifestation of darkness, brokenness, lack of peace in the world. You see it a couple of years, we don't know exactly, but it's a couple of years later uh, when, when the wise men visit Jesus. Um, and you get this in, in Luke chapter 2, uh, sorry, in Matthew chapter 2. Let me read a little bit for you of uh, Matthew's account of the, the Magi. So, the Magi, when they see the star, uh, by the way, and I hate to do this. I really, I don't hate to do it. But um, all of your nativity scenes at home that have a star above the manger, just go home and take that star off. That does. That comes a couple of years later. All right. There is no star above the manger. Um, this is this is toddler Jesus now, and um, he's a, probably a couple of years old. We know this because Herod orders the 
every two-year-old boy in Jerusalem to be, or in Bethlehem to be killed. Um, and so roughly, this is a couple of years later when the, when the uh, Magi come on the scene. And uh, so Jesus is at terrible two stage right now. He's the son of God, so he's not as bad as your kid was, but still, all right? So here, here we go. They saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy, and they entered the house, Jesus' house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. You know the story. Um, then they were warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod because he's a maniac. Uh, so they returned to their country way out east by another route. Then what happens? After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt. They're now refugees on the run. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise man, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. So, is that a picture of peace on earth? A deranged, maniacal king massacring a bunch of innocent boys? because he's so insecure about his own authority. Fleeing to Egypt, this foreign country, you don't speak the language, you've never been there before, fleeing there for your life. This can't be the kind of peace on earth, the world peace that Miss America dreams of. It can't be that. It can't be the Disney version. Even two years after the announcement, we're not there and haven't been there since. So what is this peace? What is the peace that Jesus is offering us, the rejection of which he weeps over? What is the peace that he brings as the Prince of Peace? He gives us a big hint in John's Gospel. Again, approaching his death, he talks a lot about peace as he comes to his excruciating death. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my friends, my disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. So whatever it is, the peace that Jesus gives, it's not worldly peace. He doesn't give it like the world gives it. He doesn't promise it like the world promises it. If only you can get this. If only you can be this, look like this, achieve this. That's the way the world gives. And what the world offers is so fleeting. It's so temporal. You might have it for a day. You might be the, one of the very lucky ones that achieves some kind of peace for the rest of your days, but then death comes and crushes it. 
So Jesus says, I don't give this peace, my peace I give to you, but I don't give it to you as the world gives. The peace that Jesus speaks of here, the peace that Isaiah promised in chapter 9, verse 6, the peace that the Bible promises us in Hebrew is shalom, in Greek it's irene, um, if you know anyone called Irene, her name literally means peace. That's the Greek word, Irene. So, so this peace, both in Hebrew and in Greek, and certainly in the, the, the original Hebrew, the, the shalom, is it, the, the word, as is so often the case, is much more complex, has much more depth than our word peace in English. And, and you need to know this. The, the, the word itself offers no guarantee of ease. It offers no guarantee of comfort and security. That's not what shalom means. Shalom carries with it this sense of peace and, and blessedness. It's, 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 it's saturated in blessings and the Bible tells us through the unfolding story, it tells us that this peace comes to us even in the midst of and even because of the darkness that we live in. Shalom peace is peace from God even in the midst of darkness. It's even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me. That's shalom peace. God with us. Peace with God. Reconciled relationship. Hey, what, we sang a carol at the beginning of the service. What did it say? Um, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's what it's talking about. God and sinners reconciled. That's the ground. That's the foundation for the peace that Jesus offers. That's what shalom, peace, means. That's what it means for him to be, Jesus to be our prince of peace. Peace even in the midst of conflict, darkness, brokenness, devils, sin. That's the peace he offers. That's why he can say in John 16, a couple of chapters later, he says, you bring that up. This is a beautiful saying of Jesus. I've told you these things so that in me... You may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. Man, there's a lot in that one verse. What Jesus says to his disciples, remember this is his last few days, what he says to them to comfort them, reassure them, he's saying this stuff so that they would have peace, not in whatever's going on around them, because that's about to go completely to hell. Their world is about to be absolutely torn apart. So he says to them, I'm saying these things to you so that you have peace, not in the world, not in circumstances, but in me. So that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering. Ten out of eleven of the disciples are going to get killed in the most gruesome fashion. You will have suffering. 
but be courageous. I have conquered the world. That is, Jesus, because he has overcome the world, the flesh, the devil, everything that makes for chaos in this life, he has conquered so that even while those things are still at large, even in the midst of things like global pandemics, the most inevitable things that still somehow surprise us when they come along, all of these things, in the midst of broken marriages and disobedient children and cancer and all of this stuff, in the midst of all of that, we can have peace because our peace is in Jesus and he has conquered all of our enemies. This is true peace. You can roll the dice on having fleeting this life kind of peace. Good luck. But if you want true peace, if you want lasting peace, if you want everlasting shalom, if you want to get it straight from the Prince of Peace, then you need to know the peace that he's offering you is blood-bought peace. It's God and sinners reconciled kind of peace. Peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That's what he's offering you. Paul picks up on this in his letters. A couple of passages I want to share with you. Romans 5.1. We talked about this quite a bit in our last series in Romans 8. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Blood bought, sinners reconciled. That's the kind of peace he's offering. Ephesians chapter 2. Here's another one for you. But now, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He is our peace. He is the only source of peace that will never disappoint. So long as we understand that the peace he gives doesn't guarantee an easy ride in this life. You will have suffering. Be courageous. Maybe you've noticed, as good Anglicans, maybe you've noticed that in the Anglican order of service, we have this peace weaved throughout. It's one of the foundation stones in our church service, the communication of this kind of peace. So just earlier in the service, we had this time for greeting of peace. Now, I sinned uh, for the first like five or six years that I was here and replaced though that liturgy of peace with a Go around and say good day to one another. I told you I was a moron. It turns out it wasn't just when I was 20, it's just continued on. But 
Why did I do that? I gutted so much of the meaning, trying to make it more accessible, trying to make it more, I don't know what. But here's the thing, we don't, we're not just saying, g'day, how's it going? You see the footy last night? We're not, we're not even saying, it's good to see you. I've, I've missed you the last six months. We're saying, peace be with you. We're communicating a theological truth. I have peace with God, so do you, therefore we have peace with one another. That's what we're saying. We do at the end of the service. I normally get up here and I'll say a word of blessing over you. That word of blessing is a prayer of peace. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, etc. What does it begin with? The peace of this week, if things go well? No. That wouldn't be a blessing. That would be a hit and hope, all right? This is, no, the peace of God that you have by virtue of Jesus. Or maybe instead of doing that, that traditional liturgy, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to number six as a blessing. I do this often. You want to bring that up? It says, in, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what, friends? Right. Peace. Not an easy week. Not fewer emails than you usually get. Or more green lights than red. None of that stuff. Not even health, wealth and prosperity. No, peace. Everlasting peace. Blood-bought peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And then what do we say? Last thing we say in the service. Go in what? Right. We don't mean like don't start a fight in the car park. That's not what we're saying. Go in peace knowing that you have peace with God and one another. Then there's all kinds of implications for that. The Bible tells us, Jesus says himself, you're now peacemakers. Because you've received peace from God, you can now kind of like, you can pollute the darkness out there. You can pollute it with the peace of God. But it doesn't begin with you manufacturing some kind of worldly peace. It begins with you receiving from the Prince of Peace. Yeah, it's good. So remember that whenever you come to church here, note, note it whenever we ask for God's peace or we exchange God's peace. This is what we're talking about. Now, here's, here's the last thing I want to say, all right? I want, I want to talk about the kind of quality of this peace. And the, it's, it's a kind of like a combination of quality and quantity because this peace, we know, is not the kind of fleeting peace that the world offers and tantalizingly offers. It's always on the horizon, always just out of reach. It's not that. It's, it's both here and now, something you can enjoy even as you sit there now hearing from God's word. You can enjoy the peace 
that Jesus gives you. It's peace on earth. And it's a peace that stretches out and grows in quality and quantity forever. Now that seems almost too good to be true. But I'm not selling anything. I'm just going back to the passage. Here's what it says in Isaiah 9, 7. This is, this is, this is the Prince of Peace ruling his kingdom of peace. This is new creation. This is the second advent. This is, this is eternity. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. And the ESV translation is particularly pertinent for us here, a more literal translation of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And this is wonderful good news. Here's the problem. If you take any other person other than Jesus and say the increase of his government will have no end. The problem with that is you end up with tyrants and dictators. We've seen this all throughout history. You saw it with Herod. Can you imagine if either Dan Andrews or Scott Morrison or insert your worst politician or your best Queen Elizabeth II, even that saint, if you give them government whose increase will never end, you've got a tyrant and a dictator. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And where the increase of his government has no end, you also have peace that will have no end. You have shalom. This is the promise of the new creation. Not just that day, one day when Jesus comes back, but the new creation that was begun in his earthly ministry and that which we enjoy here and now today. Not in its fullness. Not yet. We can't wrap out minds around that kind of peace the quality and quantity of a peace that increases forever with no end well, I, I, I don't get it I do want it I do groan for it since this is so hard for us to get out Minds around. I'm going to read a couple of descriptions of this. Um, the first nonfiction, the second fiction, but just as good as nonfiction, if not better. So here's, here's Ray Ortland and his, his wonderful commentary on Isaiah. If you want to get one commentary, get the one um, by him, God Save Sinners. I worked through this in my devotions a couple of years ago in the morning and just is beautiful. All right, so here's what he says. The empire of grace will forever expand. If we live by faith in him now, accepting his weakness as our strength and his folly as our wisdom, 
we will be there to enjoy his triumph forever ascending, forever enlarging, forever accelerating, forever intensifying. There will never come one moment when we will say, this is the limit. He can't think of anything new. We've seen it all. No. The finite will experience ever more wonderfully the infinite. And every new moment will be better than the last one. Every new moment will be better than the last. We were t- talking about this on, you remember at staff meeting on Tuesday, we were talking about this. John was saying, what's it going to be like? Are we going to get kind of, are we going to get a little bit over, you know, just everything just being amazing forever in the new creation? And the answer is no. We don't get sick of it because it's always better. Every new moment will be better than the last. C.S. Lewis picks up on this. In one of the greatest books ever written, it won the Carnegie Medal for the best children's book of its time, or, or at least of the year it was written. And uh, it's the seventh book in the Chronicles of Narnia. I know you guys have all this memorized, otherwise you wouldn't be a member of this church. So, um, but let me just remind you of, that was a joke, by the way. Um, in the last battle, you have the, the climax of the seven Chronicles of Narnia, and you have in this, this final book uh, a picture a, a, a non-fiction, but I think very accurate picture of Aslan, representative of Jesus, ushering in the new creation. All of our favourite characters in, throughout the, the Seven Chronicles are now dead. Uh, and they've been ushered into this stable, and the inside of the stable is bigger than the outside. And inside that stable, there is the new creation. And they're encouraged further up, further in, further up, further in. The more you go in, the bigger it gets. Further up and further in, they start to kind of get a sense, this isn't, this isn't the world as we know it. They haven't yet clicked that they've been ushered into the new creation. And then off in the distance from the, the land of Narnia, they see... England, but it's not England as I knew it. It's the real England. It's the true England. It's the recreated England. And, and then they see, you know, the, the world itself has been renewed and recreated. And then at the very end, Lewis commentates on the scene. And he says, as Aslan or, or Jesus, as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's the new creation that Isaiah promises us, 
the dominion that will be vast, the prosperity that will never end, the, the reign on the throne of David over his kingdom, justice, righteousness, now and forever. Jesus ruling as the Prince of Peace. This peace, my friends, this peace which is yours now. It's yours to enjoy now, even in the midst of darkness and sorrow. And for some of you, Christmas time is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's the worst time of the year. It's the loneliest time of the year. Even in the midst of brokenness, sorrow, pandemic, this peace can be yours, will be yours, in increasing measure, now and forever, because the new creation is ruled by the Prince of Peace. That's why we say at Advent, come Lord Jesus. We want it. We want it now in its fullness. Come Lord Jesus. And that's what I'm going to pray for us right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And we delight in the fact that you have conquered the world, our enemies of Satan, sin and death, all conquered on the cross. Risen Lord Jesus, we ask now that you would come. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Lord, it would be so fitting for you to come at Advent. You've done it before. Please do it again. Come and make all things new. Start chapter one of the great story. And even now as we wait, we once again put our trust in you. We renounce all of our futile chasing after peace in worldly stuff, temporal stuff. All of that is a mirage. We can see that now. We renounce it in Jesus' name and ask rather that you would enable us even now to put our trust in you. You want us to find peace in you. Please lead us there, Lord. You're our great shepherd. Please lead us there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.